Good morning, Calvary Chapel. Now I know why Jeff has such a smile on his face when he stands up here. Normally I sit in the back and I just get to see the backs of your heads. This is a much better view. (laughs) This journey started uh, a little over 33 years ago when my wife and I got married and we were attending a church over in Carthage, Missouri that uh, I'd grown up in uh, since I was probably the age of 10. Uh, My dad still teaches Sunday school there. He's been teaching it for about 45 years. And uh, my wife said, honey, I would really like to find our own church instead of just being your dad's son and wife. And uh, I said, okay, all right, we can do that. Of course, I'd never looked for a church before in my entire life. I just went wherever my folks went. So I went and asked my dad, I said, dad, what is it that you want to look for in a church? And he said, just two things. The first thing is that it teaches the Bible. And I said, okay, okay, I got that. I I can get that. And I said, what's the second thing? And he said, find a place where you can serve and not be served. And that has been our journey for these 33 plus years of finding churches where they teach the Bible and where we can jump in and serve. And we've been in churches in Missouri, we've been in churches in Georgia, we've been in churches in Ohio, uh, and of course we visited churches in between those locations. And uh, my last stop was in McDonough, Georgia, uh, just south of Atlanta, and we had attended there for about 10 years, and uh, it was what a blessing it was. And uh, when we came up here, uh, of course we sought out another Calvary Chapel, and uh, that's the the teaching style that I like, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, so we arrived here, and uh, I think the second Sunday I asked Jeff and Russ if he could meet with my wife Dana and I to talk about where we could jump in and and serve. And so that's what we've done, and uh, it's been a real blessing. I don't know what my pastor down there said to him, but here I am in front of you this morning, so it must not have been all bad. If you would, we're going to do chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and in some cases word by word, in Colossians chapter 2, it's in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company, Colossians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We've got Bibles in the back. And if you don't have one at home, take it with you. I think that's okay that they can take it, right? Yeah, seriously, take it home with you. Uh, If you need it, take it. We want you to be able to uh, read God's Word, not just here in the building. Colossians chapter 2. If you would, please stand as we read God's Word. Verse 1, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit, 
and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Heavenly Father, as we study your word today, I pray for changed hearts. I pray for a change in my heart, Lord, to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray over each and every person standing here today, or that may listen to this in weeks to come, that they would become more Christ-like in their manner. Lord, if there are areas of their life that they have not given over to you to be full Lord and Savior over, Lord, that today would be the day that they would make that change. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't have any slideshows this morning. We're going to be staying in the book of Colossians with the exception of one uh, section of uh, verses that we'll flip to. And it's going to be really easy to find. It's in Revelation chapter 3. So if you kind of want to stick your fingers in there, uh, that's the only area outside of Colossians that we will be studying this morning. So if we look at the book of Colossians, it was a letter that Paul wrote. And as, you, as we talked about in verse 1, it was not just to the church in Colossae, but it was also to the church in Laodicea. And it says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for all of those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So this was not a church that Paul started. It was a church that he was writing to of believers that he had never met before. And he mentions this church Laodicea. And it's not just for Colossae, it's for Laodicea, and we'll talk about that. That's where we're going to go to Revelation chapter 3. But what I want you to focus on, though, is the struggle, the word struggling here. It also means conflicted. He is agonizing over this body of believers that he has never, ever met before. It's over a church that he didn't start, and it's for a church whose pastor, Epaphras, is sitting beside him in a prison in Rome, in chains. That's this group of folks that he is praying for. And you think, well, Laodicea, that sounds real familiar. If you would flip over with me to chapter, or to Revelation chapter 3, it's the same church that John writes about. Starting in verse 14, Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, not hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. How would you like to be characterized as that church? Lukewarm. Paul had a heart for this congregation because he had never, even though he had never met them before, he had a heart for them. Do we have a heart for believers that we have never met? Do we have a heart for those that are on the mission field in Asia, for those in Africa, for those 
in Georgia, for those in Missouri, believe it or not, other countries are sending missionaries to the United States now. Are we struggling in the same way for these believers that we don't know? It's hard to think about and pray for people that you don't really know. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't. You think about all of those missionaries and the way they are giving up their first world niceties, if you will. You know, my sink backed up this week and I was, I was really hammering the, 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 the plumber on the phone. And then it dawned on me, I said, but you know what? This is just a first world problem. Where is our energy being focused? Is it on those things that are godly, those things that are of a spiritual nature, or is it on those materialistic things that seem to get in the way from time to time? Verses 2 and 3. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What does it mean, encouraged in heart? Enthusiastic. Are, are we enthusiastic about coming here on a Sunday morning, or is it like, oh my goodness, I've got to go to church? Are we enthusiastic about sharing the gospel message with those people that we come into contact with, whether it be on the street, in our job, in our home, in our neighborhood? Are we able to, in our, in our uh, encouraged heart, one way to look at it is being able to meet a difficult situation with confidence. One of the advantages of being encouraged in heart is when we have that encouragement, when we have that enthusiasm, it's hard to bring us down. It's hard for us as believers to be brought down. It is harder to divide us as a group of believers when we are encouraged in the Lord, when we are encouraged in heart. I've seen too many churches that have fallen to the wayside because of the color of the carpet. I remember a story about Chuck Smith when they built that first church. The, the older people said, oh, look, look, they're getting dirt on the carpet. You know what Chuck Smith said? Rip up the carpet. United in love. In the King James Version, it says, knit together in love. It's all about being united and unified under Christ. Not by force, not because we have to be, we're supposed to be. We think we have to show something in front of others, but it's by love. And this word love, it's the agape love, the unconditional love. And when we have unity through love, it helps break down those barriers of division. We're no longer worried about what my heritage is and what your heritage is. We're no longer worried about what your race is and what my race is. We're not worried about the upbringing that different ones had. We're not worried about status. We're not worried about politics. 
It doesn't matter whether you like the football or if you do like football and if you like the Patriots, oh my goodness. Where's Russ? I think he's the only person I've ever met that likes the Patriots. <laughs> but guys, if we are knit together in love, and that is our whole focus is loving one another. It doesn't matter what all of those differences are. Every one of us is different. To have unity, though, some of us must be encouraged. Some of us must be filled with enthusiasm. But one of the things that I've noticed over the years is in order for me to be in unity with someone else, I have to build a relationship with them. I've got to spend time with them. I have to understand where they're coming from in order to be able to share with them where I'm coming from. Paul, again, writing this letter to people he's never met before, is using this letter to build this relationship. Matter of fact, flip over to chapter 1, verse 19. Chapter 1, verse 19. It says, for God was pleased to have all this, all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's what Paul is focusing on here. Oh, hang on a minute. You know what? That was supposed to be first verse nine. I was going to say that didn't make much sense. Let's go to verse 9. Sorry about that, folks. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, that makes more sense, doesn't it? Let me read that again. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Isn't that beautiful? Do we actually take the time to stop and pray for different individuals? When someone tells you that there's something going on in their life and you say, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that and just walk off? Or, or is the Holy Spirit kind of jostling us and saying, hey, pray for them. Pray for them right now. It's hard to do sometimes, especially, again, if we're at work or if we're struggling with our own things that are going on in our mind. But what are we doing to build relationships with one another? What are we doing to have unity and love? You know, although Paul wrote this to Colossae and to Laodicea, it's still for us, Right? This is the Bible. It was for us. And what I found interesting was, if you look at uh, verse 29 in chapter 1, right before the beginning of chapter 2, it says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Paul was only able to write this through the Holy Spirit that was working in him. And it's only his energy, 
his being the Holy Spirit guiding him. And the beautiful thing is that today the Holy Spirit still has all power. And this is as much for us right now as it was for them then. In verse 2, it goes on to talk about that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Well, what is this mystery? In chapter 1, verses 26 and 27... It says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, that's us. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. That's the mystery. The mystery is Christ in us. The revealed Jesus, treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. In chapter, or in verse uh, 3, it talks about, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that we would have that. That we would have those full riches, complete understanding, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, church, the only place that we are going to find that is in Christ. In Christ alone. Nowhere else. Believe me, I have looked... And for many, many years, I had a hole. And some of you may have heard this is called a God-sized hole. And I've tried to fill it with all kinds of things. And it would never satisfy. Ever. Maybe for a season. But it would never truly satisfy With Christ, there is nothing hidden. There are no secrets held. And the Holy Spirit is within us as a believer. So why is Paul telling the church all of these things? I mean, it's pretty common sense to us as believers, right? Because there were, quote, religious teachers coming in to the area And he was warning them about these types of teachers that spoke God speak, Gnostics. They said, oh, only a few select of us have the knowledge. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is the answer. And you have Jesus. In verse 4, It says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. In the King James, this word deceive is beguile, trying to trick you through deception. What he's talking about are those Gnostics who came in with this God-speak, real flowery, flowery words, trying to lead them off track. But this isn't the only danger that was coming in to these areas. This was the first of five that he wanted these churches to be aware of. Fine-sounding arguments or enticing words in one translation. In verses 8 through 13, which we're not going to cover, but I want to give it to you anyway, uh, he talks about philosophy 
In verses 14 through 17, he talks about legalism. In 18 through 19, he talks about mysticism coming in. And in verses 20 through 23, he talks about asceticism. Don't worry, I had to, work, I had to look that one up too. Asceticism. It's where you have severe self-discipline. Watching everything that you eat. Doing all kinds of exercise from a physical standpoint. Asceticism. Believe it or not, some believers have been led off track by enticing words. Think about all of those folks that claim to be pastors of the word, but never crack this thing. That's scary. The first week that I was here, and Jeff, don't you let your head get too big, wherever he is. My goodness, the teaching of the word is phenomenal. The amount of time that he puts into not only studying the word, but prayerfully reading it and being able to explain it to an idiot like me so I can understand it. I love that. And that's what I found at almost every Calvary Chapel church that I've ever attended. That's what I love about Calvary Chapel. The word is taught. And it's not about flowery. It's about, this is what the word says in simplicity. You can listen to the radio, you can listen to podcasts, you can watch them on TV, these different teachers, if you will. How do you know which one is okay to listen to and which one isn't? When someone knocks at your door wearing a white shirt and a black tie, how do you combat that? Because this isn't the only place in the Bible where it talks about enticing words. Fine-sounding arguments. It's not the only place because it's happened a number of times. And we still face that today. How do we combat this? In the banking industry, you know there are still people that are making counterfeit money? At the bank, they don't keep handing 25,000 different variations of counterfeit money to the teller so that they can feel them all and touch them all and smell them all and look at them all so that they can tell the difference. They keep handing them the real thing over and over and over and over again so that very quickly they can spot that counterfeit. Church, this is the real thing. If you flip through your Bible... See, see how those pages just kind of fall apart? If your pages are sticking together, you're either leaving it on the kitchen table too long or you're not flipping it enough. This is how we know. We immerse ourselves in the Word of God on a daily basis. Oh, I don't have time for that. I gotta, my schedule is crazy. I've got to get up super early in the morning and by the time you know, I get my lunch packed to go to work... I, My time is gone. Those idiots on the road, I can't pray while I'm driving. You know, just before I came up, we we passed the the offering baskets, and we were taking up tithes and offerings. Tithe, tithe, tithe. That means 10%, right? Have you ever considered tithing your time to the Lord? That's only 2.4 hours per day. Oh, Bob, 
I'm not up 24 hours a day. I'm only up for about 18. Okay, okay. 1.8 hours per day devoted to the Lord. Oh, that's, that's way too much. Okay. Well, if we compare it to how much time you're awake, and you say, well, I, I, I probably pray for, for 10 minutes. So you're only up for 100 in a day? Where is our priority? And I'm not talking about doing things because I feel I have to. I'm talking about doing things because of our love for the Lord. Is, is he worthy of at least 10% of my day? Now, I will tell you that in my lifetime, I've done it a couple of times, a few times. And then if you take out the time that was used to prepare for a teaching or for a lesson, it's down to less than a handful of times that I've spent uninterrupted two and a half hours seeking the Lord on my face or reading his word. Shame on me. It's not easy. I mean, I can sit down to pray, and before I know it, 30 seconds in, I'm thinking about what's for dinner. My mind just wanders. That's not what the Lord wants from me. That's not the best from me to the Lord. I don't have time to read. I don't understand what it says. On average, this is going to shock you. On average, it takes three minutes and 45 seconds to read one chapter in the Bible. Just one. And some days I don't find time to do that. Verse 5. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. In the King James it says, joy and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith. This orderly steadfastness, those are military terms that Paul is using as an army is under attack, but their lines are unbroken. That's how I want the Lord to see me. That's how I want to be in serving my Savior. That he can look at me and say, you have order and you are steadfast because your lines aren't breaking. Their discipline is intact and their faith in Christ is unshaken. That's how I want to be described. Verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Or in the King James, instead of continuing to live in him, it says, so walk ye in him. I like that. And this is all a little confusing to me because if you take that King James version, it says, so walk ye in him. But then it says, what? Rooted 
and built up in him. How can I be walking if I'm rooted? How can I be built up as an architectural term if I'm in an agricultural term being rooted? But it's not that confusing, church. As believers, are we continuing on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, are we walking with Him? Are we living in Him? That rooted and built up, that's not something that we do. That's something that the Lord did for us when we accepted His Son as our Savior. He rooted us. He planted us in the word. And we now have salvation. And as we continue to walk in him and live in him and read his word and spend time in prayer and listening to studies, our roots are just going to continue to grow and grow deeper and deeper and deeper. That's what he wants from us, to be more like his son, Jesus Christ Every day. How does Jesus root or build us up? In order for that to happen, we have to make him Lord over all our life. Some of you might not remember, especially the front row, there used to be a late night show called David Letterman. And on it, every night, he had his top 10 list, top 10 things to see in Miami, top 10 things to do to your car when it's brand new, on and on and on and on. But listen, church, Jesus does not want to be on a top 10 list. Well, I got the mail from the mailbox today. I went to work this week. Oh, yep, I went to church. Check. That's not where the Lord wants to stand. He is the list. That should be the only thing on the list is Christ. All of these other things are a way for us to be a missionary for him wherever we go. Once upon a time in my office at work, there was a sign that says, as I was walking out the door over it, it says, behold, you are now entering the mission field. That's how I felt. One company I was working for in Georgia, it was lots of issues. I'll just leave it like that. And we had, it was at Calvary Chapel in McDonough, Georgia, we had a guy come from an organization called FCAP, Fellowship of Christian Airline Personnel. This organization was such that if you worked in the airline industry, you could call them and say, hey, I'm a flight attendant. I'm, I'm going to be going into Helsinki tonight. Where is one of your groups meeting? And they would say, oh, man, that's great. And hangar two in the stairwell, there will be a group meeting at 8 o'clock to pray. And what he told us was, you spend 144,000 hours in your lifetime at work. How much time do you spend in a church, even if the doors were open every Wednesday and every Sunday evening? It doesn't even compare the amount of hours you spend at work. He said, when are you going to start living your faith out where you spend most of your time? And this was like a little weekend seminar, and it was wonderful. 
And, you know, I was, man, that's great for all these folks. You need to kick, up, kick it up a notch and, and really start evangelizing at work. And he came and sat down next to me and he said, so, what are you going to be doing at work on Monday? Uh, me? He said, yeah. And I said, well, you know what? Uh, there's another guy, a Christian guy in my office. Maybe we could meet to pray. And he said, oh, man, that sounds great. What day are you going to do that? I said, well, I don't know, maybe Tuesday. What time? 7.30. Well, what are you going to pray for? I mean, he's just leading me right down this path. And I'm just like a fish on a hook. I'm, man, I'm going right with him. So I'm all excited now. I get to work on that Monday morning. And I go into Buddy's office. That was a guy's name, Buddy. I said, Buddy, hey, I just went to the seminar. And this guy suggested that maybe we ought to pray together. And he said, that's a great idea. And I said, how about Tuesday morning at 7.30? And he said, well, let's do Tuesdays and Thursdays in case we're busy on Tuesday. At least we can meet one of the two days. And he said, well, what do you want to pray for? And I said, well, let's get a little sticky note. You write five names on it for people that we work with. And I'll write five names on it. And we'll meet and we'll pray for those names that we've written down. And we did, and it didn't last two minutes. But man, I was, that was awesome. Leonard was one of the guys that I'd prayed for on my list. As soon as we got done praying, I went out and I found Leonard. And I said, hey, Leonard, I wanted you to know we were praying for you this morning. Is there anything that you would like for me to pray about for you? He said, you guys are meeting to pray? And I said, yeah. He said, can I come? And before you knew it, there were 20 people holding hands. We had to move out of my office into a conference room, holding hands and praying every Tuesday and Thursday from 7.30 to 7.45. Do we really believe that our place of work is our mission field, or do we just say that? And if you've never thought about it that way, now's the time. Are we devoting ourselves to prayer? Are we devoting ourselves to reading and studying the word? In verse 7, going back to it, it says, Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. It never occurred to me that everyone hadn't seen the veggie tales. I, I just thought every kid saw the Veggie Tales. My kids saw them. We watched them hours and hours and hours on end. Matter of fact, I'll still look them up on YouTube every now and then just for a, a laugh. It's, it's a, good, a good way to teach children the message of the Bible. As Billy mentioned, we're going to be teaching, and it's not just me, it's my wife and I, uh, a discipleship slash new believers class. And we were doing the same class in Georgia before we moved up here. And as we were going through it, we were talking about faith. And one person's name who comes up every time when you talk about faith is who? Abraham. Abraham. And as we were going through it, I mentioned the name Abraham, and I just had these glazed eyes staring back at me. I said, whoa, 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 do you guys know who Abraham is? No. How do you not know who Abraham is? So we stopped the le- right in the middle of the lesson. I said, all right, we're going to Genesis. And we stayed in Genesis the rest of that class time so that they would understand who Abraham was. When we finished the class, I asked them, I said, do you guys want to just continue meeting on a regular basis? It was kind of like a Sunday school class at that point. And they said, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. 
at the Calvary Chapel in Georgia, we had not yet gone through the book of Isaiah. So I thought, well, that'd be a fun book to go through. We'll just go through that together. So I was asking Dana, I said, what do you think? And she said, I don't know. Maybe we ought to just start in Genesis and start teaching these folks the Bible. And that's what we did. Talked about Daniel in the lion's den. Man, you should have seen their eyes. What? David and Goliath. Splitting of the, of the sea for Moses and the Israelites to walk through. We went from Genesis to Malachi, hitting all of the highlight Bible stories. Again, that would be covered in the Veggie Tales. And then after that, we went into the parables of Jesus. And it was a wonderful time. But do you really understand what the Word of God says? Have you had the opportunity to, to receive this? And what I found, and this is no criticism, is that a lot of folks that come to a Calvary Chapel are folks that might not have ever had been exposed to the Word of God before their adult life. And that's fine. But that is why we want to offer this course on Sundays after the service. To, to talk about some of those foundational things. What does the Bible say about baptism? What does the Bible say about it being the inspired Word of God? How, how do I know that? What does the Bible teach us about heaven and hell? Did, did you know that hell is a real place? It's not some fiction. There's not some little caricatured devil with a red suit on with a pitchfork. It's much worse than that. And it's all right here. So that's what the course is about. And when it says here in verse 7, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Listen, church, there's nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. But if you weren't taught or haven't been taught a lot of the things that are in this I mean, that's a pretty thick book, and it's not easy to read. Come. Come to the class. As we spend time devoting ourselves to prayer, as we spend time reading the Word and studying it, church, we have to put it into practical application, and that's about building relationships. We moved back to Missouri. I'm originally from Carthage. Yeah, Carthage. It's a nice place. That's why we left. <laughs> My folks are getting older, and that's why we moved back. It wasn't for the area. It was for the family. But I started a new job. The first week I'm here, I'm sitting in the break room, and there's this gal that comes in, and she uh, is sitting there at the table, and, and I notice that she's a little weepy. And I said... Is there anything wrong? Is there, what's going on? And she said, Bob, my, uh, my son and daughter-in-law are thinking about getting a divorce. Matter of fact, my daughter-in-law has already left and taken the kids. And my son is just heartbroken. He doesn't know what to do. I figured, she doesn't even know who I am. Why is she sharing this with me? And then I just began to pray. Lord, why me? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And I said, Patty, can I pray with you? Not, I'll pray for you. I said, Patty, can I pray with you? 
And she was walking by my table and she stopped and she said, yes. And we said a prayer for her and her son on the spot. This was several months ago. Two weeks ago, when all the bad weather was going on, her son clears roads. He puts the, the ice melt down on the, on the roads. So he'd been working overnight. He's originally from up north of here, but was down in this area. So he was staying the night at Patty's. And uh, that Monday, she said, Bob, my son was down here. And he said, what church does Bob go to? Because I want to come. I want to go to that church. He hadn't been in church in a while. And she said, I don't know. She, she never asked me before, but she wanted to come and bring her son with her. Through that, I mean, 30 second interaction. Are we willing to be uncomfortable for Christ? Because that wasn't a comfortable situation. Are we willing to build those relationships with those that are around us because, not because we have to, but because we love Christ? Some of you are saying to yourself, yeah, I do that all the time. Great. What are you doing to teach the next generation to do the same thing? And if you've never done that, would you feel comfortable doing that? Some of you go, uh-uh. It's not about your strength. It's not about the power that you have in your physical body. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you unimpeded. That's what it's about, church. And then it talks about this overflowing with thankfulness. In the King James, it says, abounding in thanksgiving. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Abounding. I think of jumping, jumping for joy because I'm thankful. There's a commentator, his name is Adam Clark. And this is kind of how he sums that abounding in thankfulness. No limitation is ever set to the operations of God on the soul or to the growth of the soul in knowledge, love, or image of God. Those who are brought into such a state of salvation should abound in gratitude and loving obedience as they grow in grace. Isn't that beautiful? Church, are we, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are we grateful? In our prayer time, do we stop and, and really focus on those things that we are thankful for and thanking him for us having them in our lives? And I'm not talking about the materialistic things. I'm talking about our family. I'm talking about the relationships that we have. We're, I'm talking about the knowledge that we have gained from reading his word. Are we abound, are abounding in obedience Has something been placed on your heart by the Holy Spirit? You just kind of, not right now. Have you thought about picking up the Bible and reading through it and saying, oh man, that's a lot. It's already mid-February and through the Bible, I haven't even started reading yet. 
Listen, church. If you are in a place where you're not sold out for Christ, there's no time better than today to recommit your life. Do you really want to recommit your life? Are you at a place where you're thinking, "Mm, man, I've got time. The end of the world's not coming for some time. Gas prices hadn't hit $5. There's still not too much war and pestilence and famine going on. I've still got a few more years to turn my life around. I still have a few more years to grow when I want to later. I'm just in my youth. I'm going to wait until I'm Bob's age. You know, I've got gray hair and all. Listen, church, there is no better time than right now. For those of you who are familiar with Calvary Chapel and its beginnings, and you've listened to some of the Calvary Chapel pastors, I'm not far from them. I wasn't a squeaky clean altar boy that just kind of morphed into who I am today. I had to go through a lot of knocks and challenges and battles. And you can ask my wife. I've been with her longer than I was with my, my parents. She knows me better than anyone else. And I'm sure she will tell you that at some point in my life, I had to humble myself and confess my sins and my shortcomings to the Lord of hosts. <coughs> Sorry. I not only had to confess them to the Lord, I had to come clean with my own family, my wife and my kids. That was not fun. It was not easy to do. Because in our minds, at the moment we were doing those things or not doing those things that we should, we had already rationalized it and said, it's okay. Now we're having to eat crow. But I know one thing, when I made that decision to sell out for Jesus Christ, I was glad. The burdens were gone. The shoulders were clear. I no longer wore a big heavy yoke. I wore the light yoke of Jesus. And I guarantee you, and you can ask Dana, don't take my word for it. But I guarantee you she was as glad as I was. And today, I am a different man with Christ at the helm. It's on no power of my own other than to get out of the way. And sometimes it's hard to do. Believe me, I know. oh man, we still got plenty of time. We may go on through a few more verses. No, I'm teasing. Listen, I don't share this very often. But when we were in Georgia, I believe it was 2008. It was in an August time frame. And my wife said, hey honey, 
you want to go for a ride? We had convertible Jeeps. And I said, sure, sure. Sounds like a beautiful night to go for a ride. And so we took off in the Jeep, and we were driving along, and uh, she said, honey? I said, yes. And she said, do you, do you think that you're drinking too much? And I said, no, no. And she said, you're a better man than this. Would you consider going to AA? And I said, I don't drink that much. It's just a little bit. Honey, would you consider going to AA? And I said, yeah, I would. This is on a uh, Saturday night. No, I'm sorry. It was on a Friday night. She said, so when are you going to stop? So we get home and I'm taking an inventory real quick of what I've got left and how long it's going to last me. And I said, because I'm not going to pour it out. I said, uh, let's do next Saturday. She said, all right. I said, my last drink will be next Saturday. So, you know, the week's going on and I'm monitoring my inventory and Saturday gets there. It's about six o'clock in the evening and I, all of the bottles are empty. Man, I've only made it halfway through this day. Honey, I'm going to run down to the liquor store. I'm going to buy one more bottle, and that'll be it, I promise you. Just one little more bottle. She said, all right. She didn't stop me. She didn't browbeat me. So I went down there, and I got a bottle. I'm not going to say how much it was, but it's about that big. You know how much of it was left when I went to bed Saturday night? Zero. Drank it all. That was my last drink I've ever taken. And it wasn't because of me. It was because I allowed myself to let wisdom speak into me through the Holy Spirit, my wife being the vessel, and me being willing to accept that and humble myself. And by the grace of God, I've not had a drink since, and I don't plan on it, because I only want to be filled with this now. This is it. This is what I want my addiction to be now. And that's what I do. Abby, where are you? Come on. I tell you that story to say this. I'm a, I'm a big guy. Like this guy right here. We, we could be brothers. I saw him at Walmart the other day, and he acted like he didn't even know who I was. I don't know if it was on purpose or on accident. Well, I had my mask on, too. <clears throat> But it doesn't matter how big we are physically, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I don't know where you stand with Christ. He does. I don't know where you stand with allowing the Holy Spirit into your heart. You may have years ago, praise God. You could be pouring through this thing two hours every day. Praise God. But church, if you are not at that place, today is that day when you can recommit your life. If you would please stand with me. I'm going to have some of the leaders come down here. 
Guys, there is nothing special about me. Please don't misunderstand me. I am a conduit for you. When Jeff asked me to teach, I said, Jeff, what do you want me to teach on? Do you want me to just pick up and continue where you are? He said, no, no, no. Pick something. I prayed about it. Four days on end. I don't even know where Jeff is. Where are you? I don't know where Jeff is. He's wearing a black shirt. He looks really sharp. But it's been several weeks that he asked me, and I've been pouring over the word, Lord, what do you want me to teach? You got it today. Why? I don't know. But someone here, maybe it was just me that needed to hear these words. But maybe it was one of you as well. Listen, if you are a place in your life right now where you think, I want to know Jesus better than I do now. I want to have a better relationship with him so that I can have a better relationship with my wife and children. Come, let these folks pray with you. All right? You don't have to wait for any special time. It doesn't have to be why Abby's playing the music. It could be 10 minutes from now. These guys will still be down here praying with you. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to serve you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are our refuge. You are our strength. Lord, we want to hide in you. Because in you there is nothing hidden. All wisdom and all knowledge. All of your fullness, Lord. We just simply have to ask. And Lord, today, if there are those that have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, we pray right now that you would put a little pep in their step to say, come, come, Lord Jesus. I want you as my Savior. There's no special formula to accept Christ as your Savior. All you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And He will be your Savior. You don't have to wash yourself up before you come. You don't have to dust yourself off. He knows who you are. He wants to help you with that process. With the Holy Spirit residing in you as a seal of redemption. That's who our Lord is, full of mercy and grace. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now we would humble ourselves before you, Lord. If there are things in our life that are unbecoming, that are sin in your eyes, Lord, I pray right now for the strength to have those removed in our lives. We don't want them anymore, Lord. We want to be sold out for Jesus. We want to lean on you. We want your yoke around our neck rather than our own. For yours is light. Heavenly Father, as we leave this place today, I pray that we will walk out of these doors changed. That we will walk out of here into our normal quote-unquote life. And those around us will see a different person because 
of the Holy Spirit residing in us and filling us to full. Never to go back again. In Jesus' name, amen.